Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. All right, well, uh, again, good morning. Um, It is an honor to be here. Again, my name is Eric Mingle, and if I've not met you, I hope I can do that, maybe just right after the service. Uh, This is your first time. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We're honored that you would come and be with us. And um, again, uh, if you'll just stop by the Connect table by the coffee right after service, we'd love to uh, meet you and get to know you, and we have a a little gift for you as well. Uh, So this summer, we are doing something. We're doing a series called Encounters with Jesus. And uh, what we're doing is just looking at different encounters that Jesus has with different people throughout the Gospels. And what we're doing is we're, by looking at these encounters, we're learning something about Jesus and therefore about God, but also consequently we're learning a lot about ourselves. Uh, And this morning, the story that I've just read for you about Jesus and these two sisters named Mary and Martha uh, is no different. Um, we could focus on all three of them this, three of them this morning, um, but what I want to do is just focus really on one of them, uh, namely Martha and Jesus' encounter with her and what it is that he wants to do in her life. Now, I've got to confess, I've been wrestling with this passage all week long um, for a lot of different reasons. I've, I've probably rewritten it five times. Um, on the surface, it looks like a pretty straightforward passage, but in reality, I think it's actually a very complicated story. Uh, what we know is that there's a tension, right? There's a tension in that it revolves around Martha, but we're not really sure what it is, or at least what I think it is is just not on the surface. Uh, we see that there's a problem, and we, we see that it's her problem, um, but we're not sure if it's because she's anxious or if it's because she's so busy or if it's because there's something else deeper beneath those two that's wrong. Of course, it's possible that it's all three of these things, but what I want to focus primarily on this morning is the possibility that it does indeed lie deeper than her anxiety and her busyness, although those obviously play a significant role. And I'm going to do this, or what I'd like to do is I'd like to explore this possibility in three movements, okay? So the first movement is this. I want to look at how Jesus loves Martha, which is not something that's usually talked about, right? Typically, Martha is the foil for uh, talking about Mary and how awesome she is and how much Jesus loves Mary, while Martha is this, you know, hot mess. Uh, But in reality, I actually think this story is much more about all of Jesus' love uh, for Martha. Uh, The second movement is this. Because Jesus loves Martha, I want to look at what he tells Martha about what's really going on in her life that is causing her to be distracted, uh, anxious, and troubled. And finally, the third movement, because Jesus loves Martha, I want to look at what he's willing to do for her and actually does. Okay, so three movements. Uh, Jesus loves Martha. Uh, Jesus, because he loves her, what he reveals out of love for Martha. And three, what he's willing to do for Martha. So the first one is this. Jesus loves Martha. Uh, And I don't just mean sentimentally. 
I mean, he actually actively loves Martha in this passage, even though it's difficult both for her to see and for us. Uh, but indeed, he, he's absolutely loving her. He's, he's, he's really just drowning her in love if she has eyes to see. And I think he's doing this, I think we can see him doing this in three different ways. Uh, the first way is, is we can tell that he loves Martha is by the way that he talks to her. And by talks, I mean by the way that he addresses her as someone that he actually has deep affection for. Uh, even though we know, we've seen, we've read this passage, we know he's, he, he's going to chide her to some degree, he actually begins by addressing her in a very endearing, affectionate way when he says, Martha, Martha. You know, on the surface, this doesn't seem very significant, but in fact, it really is. And, you know, this is a bit in the weeds, but in Semitic languages, like Hebrew and the Aramaic that Jesus spoke, the presence of double names was a way of expressing a deep level of intimacy. So expressing, so two names back to back is a way of expressing deep intimacy. And we can, I can show you two examples of this. The, the first is when Jesus is crying over Jerusalem, what does he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not, but you were not willing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or again, even more intense, from the cross, what does Jesus cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in both cases, he repeats the name in order to express a level of intimacy that exists with those whom Jesus loved the most. In fact, loved so much that he was even willing to die for them, and he did. So when Jesus addresses Martha, when he says, Martha, Martha, it wasn't in some patronizing voice. It wasn't, oh, Martha, <laughs> Martha, Martha, you know. But in fact, it was actually in a voice that expressed intimacy and love on a level similar to that for which he had with the Father. Okay, so that's the first one. It's subtle. It's not just jumping off the, the page at you. But when you consider the fact that, to my knowledge, only two other times does he have that speak in the double vocative when he says that name twice is about Jerusalem and the Father, it's clear that he has a lot of love for Martha. The second way that we can see uh, Jesus loves Martha in this passage is by the implicit invitation he extends to her to come and sit with Mary at his feet and to listen to his word. Uh, once again, the meaning here is veiled to us as modern readers, but for Martha, this would have been a massive overture of love. Uh, you see, to be invited to sit at the feet of a rabbi like Jesus meant one thing. It meant that you were being invited to come and to be his disciple. You were being invited to come and spend intimate, quality time with him, to learn his ways of following God, to become like him, so that you could then go out and live in the world like he would live. In our language here at Apostles, what, we're, what, what we would say is that Martha was actually being invited to come be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, so that she could then go and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. In other words, she was being invited to be one of Jesus' disciples, which would have been the strongest expression of love and trust that she had ever been offered, something no woman prior to the ministry of Jesus had ever been invited to do. Okay, so there's the first two. The third one is the most subtle, but I think it's the most significant. 
while Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem, that is to the place where he would ultimately go and die on a cross, he made the deliberate decision to stop by Martha's house. And we don't know why. The passage doesn't actually give us any details as to why he made this pit stop, just that he did. Now, this may seem insignificant at first, but as we will see by the end of the sermon, it was indeed the most significant uh, reason of all. In fact, if you think about it just for a moment, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem for what will be the most significant event of his entire life, where, he, where, where according to the Father's will, he's going to go and offer himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he knows it too. He, he, he isn't headed to Jerusalem to storm the capital and to establish God's kingdom on earth by force. He's headed to the capital. He's headed to Jerusalem to establish God's kingdom by giving his life for those who are ultimately going to take it. And yet, while if this were you or me, traveling to what will be a most excruciating death, we'd probably be preoccupied thinking about ourselves and about what's to come. It's Martha that Jesus has on his mind. Can I say that again? While you and I would be on this road traveling to the cross intentionally, this is real important. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a victim of the cross. He was the victor, okay? Like he was going there on purpose. And it was still painful. And yet while he was traveling and while... If it were you and me, we'd be thinking about ourselves. It was actually Martha that Jesus had on his mind. There's a lot we need to unpack here, and we will, but for now, I just want you to hold this in your mind until we come back to it in a moment. Jesus is on the way to the cross. He's on the way to die, but he's got Martha on his mind. Okay, long story short, Jesus really, really, really loved Martha Uh, and even trusted her so much so that on the way back to his house, the father's house, he makes the intentional decision to stop at hers. Which brings us to the second movement of our study. Why? Why does Jesus stop at Martha's house? He stops at Martha's house to tell her something, to tell her the truth. He tells her the truth in love about what's really going on in her heart that's creating all the distraction, all the anxiety, and all the trouble. Let's look again at this passage. It's uh, verses 40 through 42. After Martha realized that Mary wasn't going to come and help her, uh, she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, let's make sure we understand what's going on in this passage. Um, Jesus has just dropped by, unannounced, uninvited, unexpected, probably with his disciples, and therefore probably with 12 hungry men, okay? And Martha, who is most likely slaving away in the kitchen, to provide a, a meal, probably a feast, not just for any rabbi, but, you know, for the Son of God, uh, needs help but can't find any, uh, not, certainly not any from her sister, who can't be bothered for the sake of learning amongst the men, right? And she does exactly what we would all do, what we, would, what we all should do. 
she calls out to God for help. <laughs> yeah. Basically, she, calls out, this, she prays out to Jesus for help. But to her surprise, she doesn't get the answer that she wants. I'm going to pause right there. I think every one of us can identify with Martha for just a moment that we've cried out to God for help and not always gotten the answer that we've wanted. Instead, what Martha got, instead of help, was a soft, subtle rebuke. A soft, subtle rebuke. Now the question is this, if Jesus loves Martha so much like we've already detailed, we have to ask, why is Jesus rebuking Martha? Why instead does he not hear her prayer and send the disciples, if not Mary, to go and help her? This is a great question, and I'll give you at least two reasons why, and then I'm going to tell you the meaning of what he said. And to be honest, the why is just as important as the what. Okay, the first reason is this. It's because he loves her. As we've said already, Jesus rebukes her because he loves her. Now, I know that this has been greatly abused by the church and by families and by lots of people, friends in your life, uh, but we should never judge a philosophy by its abuse of it. Uh, remember what we read from, the, from Hebrews this morning. God disciplines who? The ones he loves. As if we needed more evidence of Jesus, uh, that Jesus loves Martha, here it is. He cares enough about Martha to help her see what's really going on inside of her that is causing her to be so distracted, anxious, and troubled. And though it probably hurt her to hear him say it, especially since it's not what she prayed for, it's one of the surest signs that we have, it's one of the surest signs we have that we are indeed children of God, that he disciplines us for our good. And can I just say, the same is true about friendship. Okay, this, this is not in my notes, but I got to say this. Real, true friendship will do the same thing. Uh, real friendship isn't saying, hey, I, I love you and therefore do whatever you want. That's not friendship. That's, that's something else. A real friendship says, I care more about your future than your feelings. I care about what you become. And when you got to say a hard thing, you're willing to do it when it's needed. That's what real friendship is. As the Proverbs say, uh, an enemy multiplies kisses, but wounds from a friend can be trusted. And Jesus is the truest friend any of us have. And we can all do well by trying to be friends like Jesus for one another. Okay. Uh, the second reason why he rebukes uh, Martha here uh, is similar to the first. It's because you can't repent of sin and be healed by God's grace until you'll, you've uh, learn to name where you've gone wrong. Let me say that again. Uh, you can't repent of sin and be healed by God's grace until you've learned to name where you've gone wrong. Which, by the way, is actually why we practice confession every week as part of our liturgy. It's what we're going to do after the sermon, right? It's, it's not just to remind us that we're like wretched sinners in need of God's grace. It's to remind us that we are sinners who already have access to God's grace because of what Christ has done for us. Do you get that? We don't confess to remind ourselves that we are condemned. We, remind our, we, we confess to remind ourselves that, that Christ has made a way for us to be healed. 
And so it was with Martha. And it's why when Jesus low-key rebuked her, he wasn't doing so to condemn her. He was doing so to heal her by helping her name where her life was out of step with God's word and God's ways. In short, Jesus told Martha the hard truth because he loved her too much to let her live a lie. So speaking of lies, where did Martha go wrong? What did Jesus mean when he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things, but only one thing is necessary. Okay, first of all, what were the many things? In truth, we, we don't really know. Uh, the story is only five verses long, and we're only told of one thing that she was actually busy doing, serving Jesus and his disciples, which, as we've noted, probably included cooking a big meal or even a feast, which wasn't a bad thing, but actually a good thing. And in fact, as the matriarch of this home, it's actually what custom would have required of her, which means that this wasn't actually the problem. Okay, it's not her anxiety, and it's not her busyness. Uh, and, and likely, whatever the other things are that she was distracted with, we don't know, but it's likely that they weren't the cause of the problem either. The problem, Jesus implies, isn't what she was busy with. The problem is what she wasn't busy with. Namely, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, and receiving his love. The only thing, the only thing, Jesus says, that is actually necessary. Somehow, in other words, she allowed serving Jesus to replace being close to Jesus and actually knowing him. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, or Jesus what Jesus was saying to Martha um, is that Martha was distracted, anxious, and troubled, not because her life was so busy with good work, as if one day when she wasn't busy, she would finally be anxiety-free, but rather that she was distracted, anxious, and troubled because she allowed her work to become the source of her identity, the one place where she derived ultimate meaning and self-worth. She'd made a good thing into an ultimate thing. She'd made her work her savior and not Jesus, and now she was incapable of recognizing his love and the invitation to come and to be one of his disciples. You see, ultimately, this story isn't just about anxiety or busyness. It's about something much deeper. It's actually about the idols in Martha's heart and where she was looking, or rather not looking, for love and self-worth. And if we're honest, it's not just Martha, but it's us too. Think about it for a moment. How often do we look to our career to give us meaning or self-worth? Or how often do we look to our bank accounts or the success of our children to tell us that we are enough? How often do we look to culture to tell us who we are and what we should value? or to social media to tell us that we are beautiful and therefore worthy of love. The reality is, to one degree or another, we all have Martha living in our hearts. Yes, Jesus is living there, okay? Jesus is in your heart and grandpa's in your bones and Martha's hiding somewhere in between. 
And the point of this story is that Jesus doesn't just want to heal Martha, but he wants to heal us too. Which brings us to our third and final movement. Because Jesus loves Martha and us, he not only tells her the truth about where she's gone wrong, but he loves her enough to do something about it. The question is how? How has Jesus done something about Martha and us? The answer, not surprisingly, is on the cross. But to see this, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Do you remember where Jesus was going when he stopped by Martha's house? He was headed to Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross. And this is no coincidence. The purpose of Jesus stopping by Martha's house and the purpose of him going to the cross are one and the same. You see, it's not enough, and it wasn't enough for Jesus to merely point out where Martha had gone wrong. It wasn't enough just to reveal to her her sin. It wasn't enough just to reveal to, her how she, reveal to her how she had made an idol out of serving God. As the Apostle Paul said, the law could do that, the Old Testament law. The law could tell her that she had sinned, but it couldn't do anything about her sin. In other words, knowledge may be power in many areas of our life, but when it comes to sin, knowledge can only condemn. It can't change us. It can't save us. What we need is a power greater than, the, greater than knowledge to set us free, which is what the cross of Christ is all about. The cross gives us the power to change. But it does more than that. It also gives us the desire to change. Consider one last time Martha's complaint and her implicit prayer. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? In other words, Lord, don't you love me? Isn't that what's at the heart of this whole story? Is the fact that Jesus loves the cheese out of her, (laughs) but she can't see it. Of course, we know the answer to this question. We know that Jesus loves her because of the way that he talks to her. We know that he loves her because of the way that he has invited her into the deepest level of communion possible with him by becoming one of his disciples. And we know that he loves her because of the hard but loving truth that he's willing to speak to her. But Martha doesn't know this. Martha can't see all the ways he's been loving her from the moment he walked in the door. But she will. When she sees Jesus hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, and yeah, hers too. When she sees him being separated from the love of the Father for three long days, so that she never has to be separated from him ever again, then she'll see. Then she'll believe. And then she'll know the answer to that question. Yeah, he does care. And yes, she is loved. And when she does, she will not only find the power to change, but she will find the desire to change too. And only... and. And the only place she'll ever want to be again is sitting at his feet, in his word, under his love for eternity. 
And when she does, he'll welcome her there. And not just Martha, but us too. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we love you because you have first loved us. Lord, we haven't always recognized that you love us. Lord, like, like Martha, we are many times blinded to the many different ways that you are not just loving us right now here today, but the ways that you have always loved us, Lord. The way that you have always loved us from the very first moment that you walked in the door of our lives. We haven't always recognized it, God, but we recognize it right now, Lord, because we've seen the way that you love Martha, who is anxious, distracted, and troubled. And as, and as distracted, anxious, troubled people, we know that if you loved her despite all of that, that that means that none of those reasons are cause enough for you to not love us. And Lord, because you not only went to the cross for her and stood in her place, God, but you stood in ours, Lord, we can see and believe that you, Lord, really do care. You love us, and not just a little, but enough to give your life for us, God. That you've had not only Martha on your mind, but you've had us on your mind from the beginning of eternity. And Lord, we see that, and we, we just say thank you, God. Lord, thank you for loving us this way. And God, although sometimes our vision and is, is sometimes blurry, Lord. Ah, we thank you for your word this morning that we've been able to see it with ever-increasing clarity. And so, Lord, with grateful hearts, we just, we just come back into your presence, Lord, and we ask, us, we ask you to teach us how to sit at your feet, Lord, and how to meditate upon your word and, and to receive your love, God, so that we may know the truth and be set free from the idols in our hearts and may have intimacy with you for eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.